Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. The Athletics' Kaylin Kaler joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. She was one of the authors of, I'm just going to say, the most viral article this week in sports. That was Russell Wilson's first year with the Broncos. Too much influence, too few wins, and disorganized disaster. Kaylin, I know a lot of this is focused on Russell Wilson's time in Denver, but what we in Seattle were all talking about was a new allegation we hadn't heard, which was that Russ had gone to Seahawks ownership and asked for John and Pete to be fired. Can you give us kind of like... Like the details of what your report was on that and kind of what you guys had heard? Yeah, so basically exactly how we have it in the story, which is kind of what you just characterized, is is our reporting. So, um, you know, we uh, source leak sources told us that um, in February of last year, so about a year ago, um, you know, a little earlier than a year ago, since it's almost March now, um, in February of last year, he went to Seahawks ownership and requested that Steve and John be fired, requested that change. Um, and, you know, shortly after that, obviously he was traded to Denver. And I think, you know, that just fits into a timeline of what we've already known and what my colleagues, Mike Sando and Jason Jenks before me, cause they had written about the Seahawks, obviously extensively, both of them have experience on the beat. Um, you know, they had done two really in-depth stories about Russell's sort of falling out with Pete Carroll and, and Seattle, um, and the deterioration of that relationship in recent years. And, you know, the, the offseason before last was when Mark Rogers, Russell's agent, put out the list of destinations, the four teams that he would go to, you know, if, if he were traded, um, one of which was New Orleans, which obviously was coached by Sean Payton at the time, who is now his head coach in Denver. Um, so I think this tidbit that we had that he actually requested um, that Pete and John be fired just fits in with that timeline that we already have and we already all were really familiar with. And, you know, you can see how it went over in what happened. I mean, who's who's left in Seattle and who's gone in Seattle? And and that's how you know how that request was received. Caitlin, from what you know or what you and your colleagues know, was there a time where this relationship started to sour? Could you pinpoint like a year, maybe 2019, 2020, to where, you know, you kind of felt things were, were going downhill and, and were going to happen pretty rapidly? Yeah, I don't know exactly. I would have, honestly, I'd have to go back and uh, refresh myself on Sando and Jenks reporting. Um, I actually came into this story to do the Denver part of it mostly. So um, I came in to help with the Broncos aspect of of where Russ ended, you know, this year and and the dysfunction that happened there this season. Um, So I don't know exactly when that moment would be, but, you know, I would say in the last two years for sure, um, you know, before the uh, 2021 season, before before Russell's last season in Seattle, I think you could point to as a moment where things really started started to sour. And probably, honestly, the moment that I just mentioned where his agent put that out there um, and said, hey, you know, he's not looking for a trade, but if he were to be traded, here's where he could go. I mean, I think that was such a weird moment in the Russell-Seattle timeline that if I had to pick any personally to me – that seems like that would be it because that was just such a strange thing to put out, you know, into, into the world. Yeah, completely agree that in Seattle, Kaylin, just to kind of back you up, felt like a fork in the road. And I know, I know bump can confirm too, where it's like, once we saw 
that report or once just all of that started happening, it was like there was already this kind of negative shift towards Russell Wilson's previously kind of like dorky but pristine image. Uh, And then it started becoming people being like, what are you doing? Like you're doing this like play on words saying you aren't requesting out, but here's where you'd go. Like people just weren't buying it anymore. Yeah, it was a weird, like, passive-aggressive, like, word salad yes. where you're like, okay, I think I know the meaning of this, but I don't actually understand what any of these words together, like, mean in a sentence. Um, but I think what's interesting is that, you know, a lot of what happened in Seattle, like, a lot of the issues in Seattle of, you know, why things fell apart there was he wanted more control. You know, he wanted to have, you know, his personal staff more involved. Um, and, and he got that in Denver. Like as soon as he was traded to Denver, um, George Payton and Nathaniel Hackett in Denver, they signed off on Russell's personal team, which this year included three people. Um, Jake keeps his quarterback's coach, who I think Stacey used to co-host a show yes. with you. Um, and a nutritionist and a trainer. And so those three people had, uh, much more access in Denver's building than they had in Seattle. And then in the offense in Denver, Russell was much more involved. Um, you know, he would bring plays to Hackett for him, for Hackett to sign off on. He actually brought a bunch of Seattle uh, stuff to Denver. He brought Seattle's no huddle package. A coach told us pretty much the entire no huddle package Russell brought from Seattle and wanted incorporated in Denver. And that included some code words we used to use. And a lot of that um, influence and control that Russell had in Denver, you think that would be great because, you know, he's proven himself to be, a talented quarterback and, you know, one of the best in the NFL. So sure. You want to empower that quarterback, but in Denver, we saw that he had a little bit too much influence. It kind of flipped. Whereas maybe in Seattle, he felt like he didn't have enough in Denver. You know, he had what he wanted and it didn't work out because it was, it wasn't balanced with, with the coach. And so a lot of the players on offense were just really confused as to what their identity was and where the offense was going. What was it like initially when Russell comes to Denver? I mean, you've had guys like Peyton Manning over there, right? Hall of Famer, one of the greats. Um, rumor is his locker was right in the middle of these offensive linemen. But then you have Russell come over, who's won a Super Bowl. Um, trajectory is great in his career. But he's asking for a lot more and has a lot more pull, like you mentioned, in the facility. What was the initial response from the organization, the players, or the people in Denver? Because initially I remember Denver just being really excited. Uh, but the details yeah. of the situation when we release until later yeah um initially everyone was super excited so i don't think it really i don't think it became an issue right away and honestly um you know when stacy brought up sort of you know the narrative about russell's sort of personality and um what people think of him in that way i mean we actually in reporting this story nobody in denver said anything about that like nobody you know nobody commented on russell's personality in any way and we sort of made a conscious choice in reporting this to stay away from that because there's enough of that out there from his former Seattle teammates that we were like, okay, we don't need to like contribute to like all of that that's already existing um, surrounding him. So we really wanted to keep it to really a football focus and um, you know, details about what changes Russell had in Denver that he didn't in Seattle and not necessarily going into the whole, you know, narrative about who he is as a person and is he a fraud or a phony and things like that. So we stayed away from that. But I think in Denver, you know, the, what I brought up earlier with him having his um, personal staff and his own office in the building, which you just mentioned, his office is on the second floor. So a lot of players told us, oh, yeah, I would go to his office. Like, he should have an office. 
you know, he's, he's the quarterback. He spends the most time here and he does the most work. There's no issue with him having an office, but I think what became an issue is that it was on the second floor. And we heard from a player and a coach there that players don't typically go to the second floor. That's where all the business offices are. That's where the coaches have their personal offices, but anything a player would need to do is on the main floor. Um, so it's, it almost felt separate or other than the rest of the team. And when they kept losing and kept losing and kept losing, after Hackett was fired, um, we reported that uh, Broncos leadership initiated a conversation with Russell and said, you know, what can we change? Like they were looking at things they could change to make things better. Obviously, they weren't going to save the season, but what could what could lead to an improved team here? And one of the things that came out of that conversation was that Russell agreed to keep his personal staff out of the building and to stop using his office on the second floor. And then Jerry Judy told us he was in the locker room way more after that happened. So I think like the fact that they felt the Broncos leadership felt that needed to change kind of tells you the impact that that had on the Broncos this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Bump and I were talking about this article, um, you know, when it came out and, what stood out to us and what was most interesting. And obviously, you know, what we opened the interview with with you, which was the allegation of him asking Pete and John to be fired. Like, that was the news item that we didn't know about. And there was so Mm -hmm. much in here that was new, but that was the one that was like, hey, here in Seattle, what are we talking about today? And then there was tons of other stuff in there about the Broncos, where if I was in Denver, I'd be having a field day on sports radio. Um, But I think that, you know, Kaylin, I'm curious to kind of get your take on this. It's less a question and more kind of an observation that I had about the piece as a whole, like I said, that Bump and I were saying, which was you could maybe take out Russ and put in a number of other characters here. And I think what you'll find is when we talk about what goes wrong for a player or an organization, sometimes we talk about it like it's like, well, did Russ mess up his elbow? Like, what's going on? What's in the decline in play? And so often in sports, when you get to this level, sometimes it's like a relationship a power struggle, hubris, and, and that you see an effect of it on the field. And that's what I, you know, we loved about this piece, too, is like this talks about kind of power and relationships in the mm-hmm. NFL. Yeah, quarterback brain is like fascinating to me because you'll see this. I mean, you could, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are the other two that really come to mind of like having this type of, I don't know if you want to call it like an ego or just, um, you know, desire for control um, or influence or power. And, you know, those two other guys come to mind. And obviously those other two did not have disastrous on-field seasons this past year. Um, a lot, I guess you could say Tom Brady's season didn't go the way he planned, neither did Aaron's. But, you know, they, they weren't on the level of, oh, my God, what's happening that Russell Wilson was on. Um, and so I think things just really were so much worse for Russell because, he couldn't back it up on the field anymore this season. Like the results were not there on the field. So when the results aren't there on the field, it's so much harder to, you know, wield the influence and the power and control that you want to within an organization when things aren't going well on the field, you almost lose, you know, a little bit of that credibility. Um, So I think that's what we saw happen with Russell, but I, I like, I like that you bring that up because like Russell is certainly not unique in this way. We've seen, you know, Aaron has wanted and exerted a ton of control in green Bay. Um, Tom has done the same in New England and at the end of his New England tenure, it was becoming an issue. And, you know, and that's why he ended up leaving to go to Tampa, um, you know, and he had his own personal team as well. So he's kind of similar to Russell in that way of, you know, having um, a, a, a body guy, Alex Guerrero, who he wanted to have in the building all the time as well. So certainly what Russ is doing is not, you know, unique or different. And even, even the news that we reported about um, requesting John and Pete to be fired. I mean, that 
specific nugget is very you know newsworthy, obviously, but we see all the time, you know, people are fired in the NFL all the time because of quarterbacks' influence. I mean, we don't know for a fact that that's what happened to Bruce Arians in Tampa, but you could read between the lines there, and it's very similar. So, yeah, Russ is just very, you know, he's like most of these other elite quarterbacks who are in a place where they want to demand a little bit more control. Now, I'm going to ask you to kind of look into the future right now. So uh, you mentioned Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and their need for control and power. And you also mentioned that the thing about them is that they didn't have a season like Russell Wilson has. So they've been able to build upon that power and that influence. With Russell Wilson, he had it all. And then there was a great decline yeah. in it. Now you got Sean Payton coming in. Do you foresee a situation where Russell has influence again? I doubt he has it like he had last year, but with this new group and Russell getting a second chance at this thing, do you see him kind of bouncing back and possibly having influence again? Yeah, I mean, we saw, I mean, Sean Payton's first public appearance as a head coach, uh, he, a head coach of Broncos, he said that Russell would not be having his personal team in the building. So I thought that was really interesting that in like his first moment, that topic came up. So, Sean is going to, you know, establish some boundaries here and has already started doing so. So I actually think that's going to be really good for Russell. And I think that, you know, I'm certainly not writing him off. I think he's going to be a much better quarterback next year. The offense is going to be better because there are going to be those boundaries on him. Sean is going to have a certain very specific vision. And I think that was part of the problem this year too, that we heard from coaches that we talked to is that Hackett didn't necessarily have, like a, a specific identity in mind. There were almost too many ideas going on with the Broncos offense. And I think Sean is going to come in with a very specific plan and some boundaries for Russell. And so we're not going to see him have the influence on the offense and, you know, with a personal staff in the building like we did last year. But I think he can rebound from this season and still be a pretty good quarterback. She is Kaylin Kaler. You can go read her piece along with uh, Mike Sando and Jason Jenks, the athletic team, writing up this article on Russell Wilson's first year with the Broncos. Fascinating stuff, especially if you're a Seahawks fan in here. It's not like a hit piece. It's just this really, really insightful column into kind of what went wrong in Denver and a little bit of uh, Seattle nuggets in here as well. Kaylin, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kaylin. Thanks so much, guys. We may or may not get to four down territory. I have these questions ready for you, Bump, but I want to talk a little bit more about what we learned from Kalen specifically when it comes to uh, Seattle. Do you think it could have worked ever between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks? Is there a world where this relationship could have worked out? There actually is, but it's a world that Pete Carroll and John Schneider wouldn't want. It's a world where Russell Wilson has... A lot of control in the install every week. It, it starts in OTAs. Yeah. Every decision that was made about install, about personnel, Russell has a seat at the table. Starts in OTAs. Then you get into the regular season. What did he get in, uh, in Denver? He got his people on campus yep. and he got his own office. There's a world. Seattle, you give him his own office, you allow his people on campus, that's the way you make this work. There's a world where you run almost everything through Russell Wilson. That's what he wanted, and I wonder who advised him that there are quarterbacks in the NFL that actually move that way. That's the world where it works. 
but that wouldn't have worked here because Pete Carroll has been running the show here for 10 plus mm-hmm, years. Mm-hmm. He's been around football for 30, 40 years, right? John Schneider as a GM, you decisions starting in with you. You are the guy getting paid to make these decisions. The only way it worked is if Russell is treated like a true partner. You know, I watch all these, some of these sitcoms and stuff and um, they're lawyers, and what do lawyers, they get excited. Oh, I just became partner at the yeah, law firm, right? Yeah. That's, that's what he wanted. He was like, I want wanted. my name on the yeah. wall, too. I want my name on the wall. I want to be like an associate head coach. <laughs> I want to be involved in every decision. But um, that's the only way it would have worked out here. And I don't think it would have happened that way. And we saw how Russell got our guy Shoddy out of here. After mm-hmm. a year, a career year, at least a franchise year, he got Shoddy out of here. You bring in Shane Waldron. After one year with Shane Waldron, if we're – Thinking about a chronological order, going off of what Kalen just said and whatnot. After one year, he's already going to Jody Allen and the powers that be and saying, okay, we tried Shoddy, didn't like that. We got Shane, he's cool. But the real problem is Pete Carroll and John Schneider. So the only way this thing works is if Russell Wilson is not a head coach, he's not a GM, he's buddies with Jody, and they're sitting at the table breaking bread, making decisions. I don't, I, but that would have never happened here because Jody has to rely on the people that she hired to do their job. And over the past decade, the Seattle Seahawks, though they haven't been in many Super Bowls, though they haven't won as many games as people would like them to, They've been one of the most successful franchises. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a world. It ain't real, though. It ain't the real world. Well, that's why I'm wondering, like, okay, I, d- I would believe it if Russell Wilson thought he was genuinely had the potential to be better than Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. However, I wonder if it was that belief in himself that made him think he should have this power or if it was him thinking that he was 90% of the reason Seattle had been successful. Because if you think you have leverage, it's just as good as thinking that you're the best ever. Mm-hmm. Like maybe he, now again, I think he did. But maybe he didn't think he was Tom Brady, but maybe he thought, well, I have leverage. Who are you without me? You know, mm-hmm. and kind of tried to call them on their bluff. And eventually Schneider and Pete said, well, let's find out. <laughs> let's see. This is, yeah. this is what made Russell think that he was the guy. I'm going to say, I'm just looking at numbers. I'm going to say it started in 2017 where he led the league in touchdowns. He had 34 touchdowns. Then he backs it up the next year. He goes 35. Then he has 31. Then you hit 40. You hit 40 touchdowns. Excuse me. The year before, you had 31 and five interceptions. You hit 40 touchdowns. He was exceptional. You're really starting to feel yourself. And and you've seen the Legion of Boom boom slowly fade away. Guys are leaving. And let's be real, it was on Russell to win a lot of ball games. Mm -hmm. The defense hasn't been great. It's on Russell to win a lot of ball games. So now you're you're looking at the stats. You're looking at the situations, the fourth quarter comebacks, the game-winning drives, the the pirouette spinning out, getting outside the pocket, throwing the ball deep. Russell won a lot of ball games. So what do you do? You start to drink your own Kool-Aid. Yep. You start to sugar that thing up even more and say, ooh, this is sweet. I made this. I can do this. You start to believe in yourself even more. You want that self-belief. All right? And that's what, that's what I feel happened to Russell Wilson. He started to believe in himself even more. He's looking at the numbers. He was responsible for a lot of wins. Mm -hmm. But what he didn't do in those years, I'm going to go from 2017 to now, is that he ain't playing no conference championship games. He didn't win. He didn't win any big ones. So um, 
he failed to recognize that you needed more, not just you. You needed more to help you get to the pinnacle again. Exactly. And I don't want to put it just on Russ and say, well, he was getting paid, so you couldn't get more. You could have gotten more. You just used those resources in ways that didn't fully pay off for you. You drafted defensive linemen that didn't work out. You made trades for guys that didn't work out. You um, paid or drafted offensive linemen that didn't work out, right? Like, it's not just, oh, Russ, you weren't good enough to make it. It's, Russ was good enough, and then, you know, for reasons that had to do with him and also with the team, they couldn't figure out how to do it together. I think that's why I look at it and I just think that, like, I don't know that this marriage could have lasted much longer. I think that this breakup and divorce was inevitable and I so badly didn't want it to be, but Bump, I think that what I've come to realize is that Pete has such a core belief in himself and his philosophy. Russell Wilson truly believes that, like, he could be great if he could govern everything about his offense and those two could not have coincided. Nah. Or coexisted, I mean, excuse me. Nah. And why does Pete have that belief? Because he's done it. He's done it for a while. He's done it ever since SC. Why does Russell have that belief? Because he's done it. Um, someone's saying that we're selling the story that Russell, they're saying Russell is trash and all that stuff. No, if it's you, not trash. If you, look at, if you look at what Russell's career has been and you say that he's trash, I do not respect your opinion when it comes to football. Did he have a trash year? Most definitely. Yeah. Do we, do we, are we going to wait and see how he bounces back? Most definitely. But there are reasons why Russell believed in himself. He might have believed in himself way more than he was supposed to or that was beneficial to the organization, but there's a reason why. Russell doesn't go out and want all these things to happen if he's a 500 quarterback, never been to a Pro Bowl, tossed about 15 touchdowns a season. No, he believed this all because he wins. He goes to the Pro Bowl every year. Yep. He tossed 30 touchdowns almost every year. That's why he believed. The problem is that it was a bit too much, a little overzealous when it comes to the things he wants to do. We only have three minutes uh, before we get to some Mariner spring training updates. So rather than four downs, we're just going to stick with this because I do have a question that's more an X's and O's question anyways, which is what four down territory would be. When I talked uh, one of my questions to Kalen, I realized that I framed it uh, without some additional context. I was like, hey, Kalen, you know, we all try to look at the problem or when we see the outcome and the outcome's an issue, we try to think, was the problem something that's easily explained? Like, was it a bad elbow? Was it bad hips? Was Mm -hmm. it getting old? Was it an injury? Uh, What was the issue behind Russell Wilson's play? And then I made it seem like all it was was that, uh, you know, there was discord in Denver. And I don't actually think that's the case, but I think that you can see it differently and better than I can. Did you, Bump, see Russell Wilson, the player, look different last year or even in 2021? Or do you think much of it was just a bad offensive philosophy, locker room discord, injuries, or was there a part to it where you were like, yeah, there's a real decline. Like, there is a real decline that exists with Russell Wilson, the player. All the above, but him as a player, he wasn't taking what the defense was giving him most of the time. When they started winning some ball games later on the season, I say with the last quarter of the season where they they started running the football and play action and all that stuff, that's when they started winning. I'm watching film on Russell Wilson. It's second and ten. You have a receiver that ran a five-yard hitch who was wide open, butt naked, throwing his hands in the air like he just don't care, and you're looking for the seam. Where you take that five-yard route, you allow him to get two or three more yards. Now you're in third and manageable. Mm -hmm. I think he felt like he needed to be this superhero for his own legacy because you have to have an ego. He's a bit selfish when it comes to that. And I guess he felt he needed to do that for his team. When you look at the Denver Broncos, score 18 points a game, and you're winning a lot of ball games. So it's it's all about self-reflection. I saw him hold on to the football even longer than he used to. I saw him look confused at the line of scrimmage. I saw him and, he, and I know from a credible source that he would get to the line of scrimmage and check out of runs and check into a pass <gasps> when it's third and two, third and three. Even when a run was better 
better even when because he wanted better, to pass. He wanted to be the guy. So, yes, you want to be the guy. But if it's hurting your team, it's it's super selfish. Man, you got to go. He declined with his decision-making last wow. year. Wow. Here I was with this cold coffee, but Bump just gave me some hot tea. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, all right. Um, we're going to get to some Mariner spring training updates. First, let's get to what's on tap. This is What's on Tap with Bump and Stacy, brought to you by Dick's Driving. So, folks, what's on tap? The Mariners, of course. They're taking on the White Sox in another spring training game today, this one on the road. That game is on tape delay, so you can hear it, the play-by-play, on Wyman and Bob, uh, excuse me, after Wyman and Bob today. But we've got some updates for you. We've got um, a highlight that you're really going to want to hear. We'll tell you why it's important. We've also got uh, some general observations from this game, score updates, all kinds of stuff, just to keep you guys updated with those news items before you hear play-by-play later. That's coming your way next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. We need your questions for what I need to know. It's how we wrap up the show every single day. So get those questions in now. Text them to the Mac and Jacks text line. That number, save it in your phone, 866 979 Three seven seven six. It can be any question, sports, non-sports, life, whatever it is. I love the questions we get for this. So send those in. What I need to know coming in your way at forty-five after. Before we get to that, though, some quick updates. Uh, the Mariners' spring training game right now on the road. It's still ongoing. Bottom of the fifth. God, my vision. Uh, I think bottom of the fifth right now. Socks up three to one over Seattle. Uh, this game is going to be on tape delay on our airwaves, seven ten a.m. You can hear it after Wyman and Bob, but we'll give you some news items that you need to know now, just so you are up to date. Let's start with a highlight from the game: this home run from Evan White. Six pitch swung out and a high fly ball deep to left field. Going back, Benintendi to the warning track, looking up and goodbye baseball into the. Bullpen and straight away left field. The Mariners bullpen. Evan White with his first home run of the spring. Skies it out of here to straightaway left field. And the Mariners have a one-nothing lead over the White Sox. A great sight to see. First, you had Jared Kelnick with two home runs over the weekend, and then you have Evan White bump getting involved. White gives you not only an option at first if this can work out, but also in the outfield. I mean, I will be the first to admit, I kind of gave up on Evan White. No mm. offense to Evan White. I, a little part of me gave up on Evan White. So I love hearing about this from spring training. Yeah, I'm with you. A little part of me. I'm not proud of that part of me. Well. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's the part of me that when I was a kid was like, over this toy, moving on to another one. Yeah. Like it's, it's a horrible part of me that I don't like, but I just kind of gave up. No, I'm with you, especially when uh, Santana came over last yeah. year. Okay, he's the first base guy. Yes. He's the DH guy. But now he's gone. So you need a guy like Evan White to step up and do his thing. The main thing with him is just get through the spring healthy. Mm-hmm. Right, be healthy, mm-hmm. be available. Um, you have options now. Who do we speak to that said they used him in um, in the outfield as well? Who was I that? I think it was Depoto, right? On with Brock and Salt. Oh yeah, it was a sound we heard he from gives, Depoto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said he'd been one of the more eye-opening players of camp so far. Yes, yeah, yeah. which is great. I mean, you paid him a few years ago. He's 20 mil, still the deal. And you paid him early. That was the thing, too, is mm-hmm. that you could have waited to to lock down Evan White and Pam, but you paid him early, and then you didn't get a return from him. So we're starting to see that. I'm, I'm happy for Evan. Well, and like, anytime anyone can help, like, I've talked about uh, earlier. Well, actually, I mentioned Luis Castillo. I take it back. Uh, we were talking about some of the most important Mariners. I wouldn't have Evan White on this list, obviously, um, because there are lots of other players that are going to play a bigger role. But... If you want to talk about like where you could use insurance, 
outfield, outfield, outfield. You have a huge question mark with your left field platoon. Hopefully AJ Pollock is a veteran and Taylor Trammell when he's healthy and Kelnick are enough to keep that going. But if you lose Teoscar Hernandez, you've got Julio and then question marks on either side. So even though Evan White wouldn't be like a solidified answer in the outfield, someone who can still contribute if you need them to is a good thing. Yeah, that's good. You can also use Demo in the outfield. He's played out there before. Max Haggerty. Um, Haggerty yeah. as well. But, um, yeah, you want you want Demo to focus on yeah. second base, and you want Swaggerty just to get on base oh, and steal them things. I forgot to mention in our open that uh, Haggerty was uh, playing second over the weekend, so good to see him back out there. Uh, all right, so let's get to another news item here. This Julio running into the wall trying to make a catch. He's set for the Belters pitch. Swung on club to center field, racing back Julio. He's at the track. He's at the wall. He makes a leap at the wall, and it's off the wall. It's in the grass, a fair ball. Elvis Andrews around second base, steaming to third. The cutoff throw to third, not in time. And Andrews slides in with a triple. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if Julio got hurt on that attempt, slamming into the wall deep in left center field. He's bent over at the waist now. Both corner outfielders, Pollock and Kelnick, are going over to check up on Julio. And now he's... Standing up and walking to his position in center field, but he slammed to that wall pretty hard out there in left center field. Hopefully, kid is all right. Bump, I have good news. He is all right. Uh, Ryan Divish tweeted 15 minutes ago. Uh, they've spoke with Julio. Julio said the impact of hitting the wall with his right arm and jamming it into his ribs just knocked the wind out of him, but he says that he's fine, and then Ryan says he seemed like he was in, quote, good spirits. Yeah, it was good, man. That's... um. The- the advantage of being, what, 21? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, so I ran into a wall, but I'm fine. I'd be like, you need to wheel me out. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> um, but you know what I do appreciate is him just going after that. This is spring. He's got nothing to prove, you know, but he wants to make those plays. I'd rather have to tell Julio, hey, calmate instead of rapido. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Calm it down instead of speed it up. That's what that is for all my non-Spanish speakers out there. But I love it, man. Julio, go make a play. Now just make the play. Now after he's good, he's tired. You good? All right, you got your win? Man, make the play, dog. Let's go. But that's just me as a teammate, not as like a a person coming down. Of course. What did you make? I was going to say, you know, injuries are one of the only things I pay attention to in spring training. What did you make of our conversation with Larry Stone earlier when we were like, Larry, what do you care about and what do you not care about? You've covered spring training for 37 years. Like, what matters and what doesn't? He was like, I don't pay attention to like statistics or pitching lines or whatever it is because like he had a great example of was it Jamie Moyer he said Uh, of of um, you know great pitchers sometimes just struggling in spring training and he never pays attention to it but if someone looks good and especially like hitters and if people stay healthy that's kind of what you're paying attention to yeah you're looking for smart at bats yes you're looking for fundamentals on the ground balls um, the fly I was like there are guys who could have a horrible spring who are going to play on opening day. Yeah. And then there are guys who we talked about with him as well, like Harry Ford, mm-hmm. Marlowe, Evan White, who are battling to prove, look, I belong here. So, yeah, when you're looking at guys who are established, man, you just want to see what type of shape they're in, um, decision-making, yeah. their movements. There are little things. He says, I'm not going to look at stats right now, which is good for about – 20% of those guys. Everyone else is trying to make a name for themselves, and that's what I love about spring. It's mm-hmm. like preseason football. How many times do we see John Rasua, uh, DJ Dallas, 
Um, Josh Gordon. And it never ended teams. up mattering. John you know? Ursua, 100 receiving yards <laughs> in the preseason, matter. barely played. Because it's just that the team knows who and what they have. And what they're trying to find are the extra pieces that maybe surprise them. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or what they're trying to find is, you're right, how guys that they already want adjust. They already want Jared Kelnick to work out. Mm-hmm. Of course they want Jared Kelnick to work out. What they're watching for is not necessarily how many home runs does Kelnick get, but like, does Jared look upset after every at-bat if he strikes out? Right. Or does he just kind of you know, walk back, talk it over with a coach, chill? You and know what I mean? Like, what's his demeanor like? With these pitchers, too. Everyone's adding a pitch, right? How much yeah. control do you have on your pitch? You know, how, how, does, how does that look? What's the data that we got back on this? Oh, um, yeah, it's uh, different strokes for different folks out there. All right, guys, get your questions in for what I need to know. Any question you have to the Mac and Jack's text line, that number is 866-979-3776. Also, important that I remind you, and you're going to get annoyed with me, but I'm going to keep doing it, that you should be subscribed to the Bump and Stacy podcast. It's wherever you get your podcast page uh, or podcasts. Uh, it could be Apple iTunes I track those for reviews, so if you do use Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you would leave a review and subscribe through that. But you can also subscribe through Spotify, uh, TuneIn, Google Play. Curtis, I don't even know other platforms. I don't know. If, Podbean. Uh, Podbean. Uh, get your beans. I'm just making up <laughs> names. <laughs> of course, you got pods.com. Uh, Anchor. Anchor. I don't know what else yeah, exists. I'm Look, sure here's others. the deal. Just please use Apple Podcasts and give me <laughs> a review. Dust off your Zoom. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> exactly. All right, get your questions in for what I need to know. 866-979-3776. Your questions, our answers next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. It's what I need to know. Brought to you by All Red Heating, Cooling, Electric. Anything you need to know, question you have lingering on your mind, text it in now to the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. Shout out, by the way, to our listeners in Poland. We just learned we're the number one downloaded sports <laughs> podcast Must in Poland, at least according to our station. From the yeah. station. <laughs> Curtis, is, <laughs> Curtis is running the ship behind the scenes here, uh, looking at where the downloads are coming from. We had uh, Norway and Poland. We did. Shout out Poland. Uh, okay, what I need to know. I'm from Seattle, but live in New Mexico. Down here, the question is always red or green chili with your food. The Seattle equivalent for fish and chips is ketchup or tartar sauce with your fries. I think they're asking if that's the Seattle equivalent and then what you choose. Um, Ketchup always. Ketchup all day. Always. I don't dip fish in ketchup, though. The only time I'm dipping fries in tartar sauce is if I'm at Ivers. Can I tell you guys something that I'm glad that we're here? You don't like Ivers? Are you kidding me? I don't like. I don't like fish and chips. Uh, fish sticks. Me neither. Reddit, thank you. Uh, it's just overrated. And then people put like vinegar on it, and I get that it's supposed to be good, but I also hate vinegar. Okay. I'm just going to pass on this whole question and say uh, fries <laughs> and ketchup all the time. All day. Uh, all right. Uh, I spend a lot of time. This is from Mark in Tacoma. I spend a lot of time every day wondering what you guys would choose if you have only one thing to drink besides water for the rest of your life. Mark, don't spend all day thinking about this, but also this is a tough question. Mm. Because what you have to decide is, do I want the other thing I like besides water, soda, milkshakes, whatever, or do I want drinking? <laughs> do you want alcohol? Here's here's what I'm here. So I'm leaving Friday to go down to the desert and play some golf. Okay. And I was doing some research, and there's this drink that I'm going to try. And I'll let you guys know how it goes. It is a Modelo and Gatorade. Apparently, if you what? mix those... 
It tastes great. Like lime Gatorade? You, yeah, lime. You get a get your buzz and you're hydrating at the same time. So I might have to do the Modelo Sounds like Gatorade. A- Poor man's margarita. Yeah, it does. (laughs) (laughs) You should try it. Let us know how it is. Uh, You know what? I think my answer would be a hard seltzer or a Diet Coke because I'm pretty walking This walk around lips chapped. Pretty basic. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, What I need to know. What is the best Girl Scout cookie? And what is the most overrated Girl Scout cookie? Then the listener says, Samoas are the best and Thin Mints are overrated. <sighs> that is a take. What was the best? What did they say? Samoas. Which ones are that? It's are they Samoas? Ones. Yeah, oh, where nah, the like, nah. coconut caramel chocolate drizzle on top. It's the peanut butter ones for me. Oh, Tagalongs. Yeah. Those wow. are amazing. Those, are, really those are so, those are underrated and the best. Overrated? This is a controversial take that no one will agree with. However, I would say Samoas are overrated. They're good, but like yeah. I have three, and then I'm like I'm done. Whereas I can eat a, I can eat a whole sleeve of Tagalongs or Thin Mints. Curtis, do you I like the? Uh, I like Samoas. <laughs> yeah. I would say overrated Girl Scout cookies. I gotta see it because there's like a million flavors now. Let's take a look here. Uh, the most overrated Girl Scout cookie, in my opinion. I'm not a fan of... Now, they have to be rated, so you can't yeah. say, like, uh, uh, what are the dumb little leaf things they have? The ones that no one knows about. You know trifoils? what I mean? Trifoils? Little leaf ones. A little, tri- yeah, trifoil for whatever they tri- are. The shortbread No ones? one knows they exist, so you can't... They're not those even are, rated. Yeah, those are for your grandma. Yeah. Respect to grandma. Yeah, shout out to grandma. <laughs> shout out grandmas. Okay, I'm moving on. What do you think of your answer? That's a horrible answer. Uh, What I need to know, since the weather will be changing soon, can we expect the bump and run with Michael Bumpus, where Bump travels the state and ranks local golf courses, and Stacey has to allow him to compare each round to his best round? (laughs) Curtis will also be present. This sounds horrible for me and Curtis. We're just there. I need, I, I need, I need a 710 Seattle Sports to fund this. If you guys can fund it, I'll do it. Uh, what I need to know, should I order a grilled chicken spring roll or pork grilled spring rolls? You got to choose this person's lunch, Bump. Orange chicken was the first option? The grilled grilled chicken. chicken spring uh, roll or pork grilled spring rolls? Chicken over pork every day of the week. Okay, what I need to know. Uh, oops, I pasted my question over here. Um, what did Marshawn mean in his comments about Russell Wilson in a recent interview on I Am Athlete? Man, he it sounded like he had his back. Yeah, look, I that dude, so. he said that little mm-mm can play. It sounded all good to me. It, I mean, yeah, I didn't I didn't catch the whole thing, but from what I heard, it sounded like Marshawn was, was backing him up. I think it was Marshawn not taking the bait on saying Russell Wilson's bad and being like, hey, he doesn't have to come out and say, I'm tight with Russell Wilson. He mm-hmm. can just say like, hey, I respect, you know, his game. Like, yeah. it is what it is. I'm, you're not going to catch me hating on Russ. Like, just keeping it real. Uh, okay. What I need to know, if your name, image, and likeness were to be used for a video game, what kind of video game would you want it to be? It'd be the same video game that my name, image, and likeness was used for, and I didn't get paid for. I was uh, NCAA football. I thought that, wait, question. I thought that athletes who had been in that then got checks in yeah. the mail you that were like the 20 class action bucks. Yeah. It, it wasn't much. Mm. It wasn't enough for me to sit down and fill out paperwork for an hour. It is wild that it was like, because for a while it was like, we're not going to put someone's name on the jersey, but it's very clear who it's supposed to be. There was a 5'11 receiver with hair coming out the back of his helmet from Culver City, California. <laughs> but it ain't me, though. It ain't me. Yeah, it's not you. Uh, I would Simple be a, 
simple miscalculation. Yeah, uh, I would be in The Sims. <laughs> Just... I loved The Sims, you guys. I would play The Sims for like 10 hours. You look like you would play The Sims. What is that supposed to mean, Curtis? You looks like the same kind of person that plays Snowboard Kids. I did love Snowboard Kids. And SSX. Yeah, I just. All the better games. No, I just liked what I liked. Okay, leave it alone. Yeah, it was. It was fine, but have you ever played Snowboard Kids? You snowboard on a piano, you can snowboard on a mountain. No. You can snowboard all over the place. Snowboarding typically happens on mountains, Stacey. <laughs> I'm just saying not that unique. To I think that game. I think snowboard kids thought outside the box, and I think that that's really impressive. Uh, let's see uh, what I need to know. Uh, someone just said, "What flavor of Gatorade for your?" People are now calling know. it a Coug Margarita. I think I saw red, red Gatorade. Red? I think I saw red. I don't know about that one. Yeah. Someone said that. the kids called it Faderade. <laughs> that sounds accurate. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, what I need to know. Um, no, absolutely not. Listening to bump rate golf courses around Washington would be the best segment on radio in Seattle, and I never miss a show. No, no. Yeah. Uh, what's your take on Tariq <laughs> Wolin calling Russ a sack of potatoes? <laughs> you know what? It's um, it's a young man looking at a dude in the middle of his life yes and being like oh he doesn't look young anymore that's what that is yeah it's um when's the first time you ever realized that you looked old to someone else not like a little kid but like when i was i've told this story before so it won't be a story i'll just say it but when i was like 28 i was shopping at nordstrom and the girl behind the counter was like how old are you and i said 28 and she goes you look so good for your age and i was like 28. Mine is There's a when, two in front of my age. Mine is when an athlete called me unk. Hey, unk. Oh, I'm like, oh, dang. dang. I'm about to dye wow. my beard tomorrow. I would have I walked out the locker room, gotten in my car, driven away, and never come back. Unk. That's it. Man. I'm retiring after that. It's a wrap for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when it was over. All right. For Michael Bumpus, for Curtis Rogers, I'm Stacey Ross. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow at 10 a.m. As a reminder, play-by-play for this Mariners game that's ongoing right now. It's going to be following Wyman and Bob. Wyman and Bob, coming your way next.